in this season of Advent uh, leading up to Christmas and our celebration of the birth of Christ, uh, the Lord has led me to, to look from just a little different angle, a different perspective at these very, very familiar stories and passages of Scripture and, and try to gain something that uh, maybe I had not ever seen before. And so I've called this short series The Parent's Perspective. We've been looking from the, from the viewpoint of, uh, of Elizabeth and Zechariah, the parents of John the Baptist, and then we've been looking from the perspective of Joseph's family, and uh, today we're going to look at Mary's family. And so I'm going to read once again uh, some passages of scripture that we've heard a couple of times in different settings, either in, in our musical celebration or we've heard them uh, on Christmas Eve and, and at different points in our season. Uh, but these concern that visitation of the angel uh, to give uh, Mary this good news, this life-changing news that was coming to her. So we're, I'm in Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who, has, who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. And then I want to read just a little bit more from Luke chapter 2. It's after Jesus was left behind, uh, lost. I don't think he was lost, but he was found to be in the temple. And he was asked when they found him, and he said to them, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. And he went down with them 
and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. Now let's stand and let's pray together. Father God, I thank you for your word. And I trust your word to tell us exactly the things that we really need to know. And God, I pray that you would speak to us out of these scriptures. As you do so many times on so many occasions, you, you illumine your scripture so that we might see and we might hear and we might understand the things that we need to understand. And we give this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. When I began planning this series and meditating on this short series, I immediately thought of this place in the old city of Jerusalem uh, that we visit. It's called the Church of St. Anne. If you've been to Israel, you almost certainly have been to this church, mainly because it's easy to get to. It's in the, uh, in the Muslim quarter. It's not far from the Temple Mount. It's just just very, very easy to locate and to get to. It's a church that you may remember if you've ever been there because it has amazing acoustics. Uh, they've been measured. It has acoustics with what they call some of the longest acoustical decay, meaning uh, you can sing in there and you can walk outside and just about hear yourself singing. Uh, you can almost harmonize with yourself. It's a marvelous place for even a small group to get together and sing in harmony. Uh, very, very beautiful. It was built in the 12th century over a Byzantine shrine that uh, dated to the 5th century. So it's a very, very old church and shrine that's there. It commemorates the parents of Mary, the family of Mary, the mother of Jesus. Their names uh, are not recorded in the Bible, but uh, Anne and Joachim, or Joachim, uh, and which do you say, Joachim or Joachim? Just say it with confidence and you'll be right, okay? Uh, but according to tradition, uh, Mary lived here as a child with her family, with, with her parents. But I have to tell you, there's no scripture to read to you about this. Uh, down below, there's a crypt that is built in an area. It's a sort of a grotto that is believed to be the, the house and the place where uh, Mary was born, the, the place where she grew up there in Jerusalem. And right away, we start to say, well, and then, but we know about Nazareth. That's a long ways away from Jerusalem. But these are the things, the traditions that we begin to hear about. And so we need to do a little bit of digging on this. Are you okay with that? All of you? I just want to make sure. Okay. It's, a, it's an amazing place. And I, I was fascinated with it. Um, but the more that I began to study this and think about uh, Anne and Joachim or Joachim, uh, I, I came to realize that the truth is that there's no figure more shrouded uh, with religious tradition than Mary, the mother of Jesus. And shrouded, I think, is a good word because it's like there's this barrier almost that has been built around Mary that makes it very difficult to discern uh, about her and understand about her. 
And so it's something that we need to think about. And I want to do that very, very carefully and, and with a great deal of sensitivity. What we know about her from Scripture is wonderful. The Scriptures that, that I just read to you and then other Scriptures that we would look to are just amazing. That uh, Mary was chosen to receive great favor, great grace from God. Uh, the grace of the Lord is upon you is the announcement. She's troubled by that. It's not like she already knew that or that she was already full of grace or that she was somehow already connected. And that doesn't mean that she was in any way unworthy, but she is visited by the grace of God that is, is announced to her. She's visited by this angel Gabriel in the scripture that I read. And she's told this stunning news that she is going to conceive a baby even though she is a virgin and she knows how these things work. Um, she, she didn't doubt the announcement of the angel, but she only questioned, how, how is that going to happen? Because I, I, I know how this works. And so it's explained to her that the Holy Spirit is going to come upon her. The Spirit is going to come upon her, and so she will conceive and bear a child, and his name is to be Jesus. And so she is obedient to the direction of God. We could almost just say the redirection of her life. Because all of a sudden things are going in a whole different direction than what she had thought, what she had planned, what she had hoped for her whole life. Now we see Mary a number of times in the Gospels. Uh, really uh, just in, in here and there and then to the very end she's at the cross. And that's where um, Jesus commends her to the care of John. Uh, one of the very prominent disciples says, this is your son and this is your mother. From now on, that's your mama. You take care of her like your mama. And, uh, and so she is cared for by John. As near as we can tell, he probably took her away from the cross at that point. We see her, uh, she seems to be there a few more times. She's uh, appearing there with the women. But we know very, very little about her family. You know, I thought this would be great. Let's talk about the reaction of the parents. But we, we know so little from Scripture. The Bible says, as we go on in the story, that Mary and Joseph were united later as husband and wife after the birth of Jesus. The Scripture says that. Uh, the, the angel uh, tells Joseph uh, to, to not be united until later. And it says that Joseph did as the angel commanded. And so this was a command from God. When Joseph woke up from his sleep, uh, when he's told that this is indeed from God, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus. So Joseph and Mary... Um, had a husband and wife relationship in the way that we would understand that, in the way that Jewish people were married together. That's what scripture says, and that he was obedient in that. Mary is, in fact, described in scripture as having more children later in life. Scripture says uh, that there were brothers of Jesus that came along later. There are four that are named. Uh, and I know that there are debates that go on about, well, maybe that word could mean a rel that these were relatives, like these were cousins. But the Greek actually is adelphos, which means from the same womb. So that means they were brother brothers, uh, or they were half brothers, 
from the same womb that Jesus had come from. Scripture also mentions sisters. It doesn't give any names of the sisters, but sisters are mentioned as well. So this was a growing, larger Jewish family. We don't know when Joseph disappears, but he's not there once the ministry of Jesus begins. We don't see him anymore. We assume that Mary is a widow at that time. There was some other family that we hear about in Scripture. Uh, John 19 says that uh, Mary had a sister. And she seems to also have a sister-in-law who was Mary of Clopas. So these were some of the women that were around her. We also know that Elizabeth is named as a relative. I always like to call her Aunt Elizabeth, um, the wife of Zechariah. But we know very little beyond that. The the only real reaction that we see among families is Elizabeth and Elizabeth uh, announcing, you know, that my child in my womb leaped when you came into the room and so what is in you is such a blessing you are carrying the child of God but then there are many many traditions that came to surround Mary and her family now let me just stop and say traditions are not a bad thing can you say amen okay but they are things that we need to study a little bit more uh, in, the, uh, in the student teaching today, it was mentioned that there, the traditions about the Magi, there are things that we can't know in any other way except sometimes by tradition. Many of the locations that we look to in Israel, in the Holy Land, uh, in fact, the, the guide will often say, well, tradition says that this is the place where. And so it's from certain traditions, many that go way, way back. And then we study with archaeology. That's how we find things. Uh, And so those are very, very helpful. But we want to be a little bit careful with traditions. Um, And we don't don't want to discern from a tradition something that, that as as a doctrine or something like that. The traditions are not scripture. And by scripture, I mean that which is breathed by God, inspired by God. Scripture is our foundation. And so we want to take a a tradition and try to understand it or inform it or discern it by Scripture and look at how it, it, it weighs with Scripture. We want to be careful with the traditions that are there. Some traditions, and I could point to any number of them, they tend to get a momentum of their own where they just grow and grow and grow. It seems that could be the case with Mary, that there's a momentum around Mary. In fact, there's a whole study called Mariology, just as there is a study called Christology. And so we would want to understand that and look at Scripture in terms of how to best understand that. The Western Roman Church developed a number of doctrines in the fourth century. Now, this, so this is. 400 years, 300 to 400 years after Christ, um, about Mary. And the prominent ones, I'll I'll just give to you, the most prominent ones are are four. One, claiming Mary's Mary's virgin birth and perpetual virginity. Uh, Another, naming her as mother of God. Uh, Theotokos is the word that's used for that, and that's been debated at some length. Claiming her as queen of the universe, you may have heard that title, that phrase. 
And then another claiming her assumption into heaven that she never died, but she was assumed into heaven. Now, the Eastern Orthodox Church says that she did die, but she was raised on the third day, just as Christ was. So kind of creating a parallel to Christ. And it may be that you grew up in a tradition uh, and where they, these were all studied, and you're very familiar with these doctrines. Um, the Western uh, Roman Catholic Church said that she uh, just did not die, but she was assumed directly into heaven. Now, let me just stop, because I know... This can sound kind of threatening, depending on how you were raised and how you were educated. All of those may be true. That might shock you to hear that, some of you, because you'd say, Pastor Jeff, I've never heard any of those. All of those may be true. And I would say when we get to heaven, we can ask some questions. Amen? But none of those are attested to by Scripture. So there, we don't find them in scripture. And so what I want us to consider is how we do our theology. How do I form my beliefs and how do we form the beliefs of our church? Some people come in and they say, why, why are you so concerned about the Bible? Why do you focus on the Bible so much? And, and this is why, because that is our foundation. That is our source. That is where we, we gain our truth. I'll tell you a little bit more about how that developed historically as well. None of these doctrines are referenced in Scripture. And there are no Old Testament prophecies that pointed toward the virgin birth of Mary or to her as mother of God or any of those kinds of phrases. All of the prophecies that we have in the Old Testament point to Christ. And even just listening to the things that were in the scripture that I read this morning, we hear again and again, he is the king. He is the one born to be king. He will be uh, in the line of David, the king over Israel. These doctrines were primarily developed and set in about 431 A.D., at a council called the Council of Ephesus. Now that's 400 years after the ministry, death, and resurrection of Christ. They were trying to figure it all out. And they were debating all of these things. And there was a feeling that they could best honor the mother of Jesus by building some of these doctrines and these traditions. Um, there's actually an older tradition that Mary lived in Ephesus. And died in Ephesus. There's a house there that you can visit that is called the House of Mary. And that's because John was in Ephesus most of his time after Jesus until he went to Patmos. And so it may have been sort of a debate over that claim that Mary had lived and died there that they developed some of these doctrines. But they're not found anywhere in, in scripture and they are the basis for the veneration we call it of Mary. Now it's so good and I don't want to have a misunderstanding. We we need to honor Mary. She is an amazing woman of God. Amen. And Protestants have sometimes gotten into this thing where it seems like they're trying to tear down Mary. No, no, no. She's an amazing woman of God. But the veneration or worship of Mary uh, and praying to Mary is not found in Scripture. Uh, those ideas are not there. And, and I also want to be careful because 
if there's a cherished tradition in a family, I don't mean to tear that down at all. In fact, those traditions are in our own family. Uh, Pastor Ann's grandmother was a devoutly uh, observant uh, of the rosary and, uh, and, and the prayers, those same, very same prayers. And she was an amazing woman of God who prayed for us every day until she went on to be with the Lord. I am so grateful. Amen. Amen. But there's no mention of the parents of Mary in scripture at all. When I was trying to figure that out, we'll see them portrayed sometimes in a, in a movie or something like that. It's an assumption. Well, there had to be parents because we know there was a, a betrothal that went on. These early church traditions identify Anne is the name uh, as the mother of Mary and, and Joachim is the father. And that is probably, uh, most likely the case. Those names are prob- probably go all the way back. They would have remembered these things. There's a, a third century uh, source that says that the two were childless until Anne prayed and promised to dedicate her child to the Lord. That sounds very similar to the story of Samuel, you might remember in the Old Testament. And then a legend that Mary was miraculously conceived and then left at the temple when she was three years old to be raised by the priests. Well, I found that just kind of amazing. That may have occurred, but there's no record of that whatsoever in any Jewish uh, history and any Jewish writings at all. But these are the sorts of legends that began to gain momentum uh, and lead to the veneration of the Virgin Mother. There are some other legends that say that Joachim died shortly after Mary's birth and that Anne remarried and became the grandmother of these apostles, John, James, Simon, Jude, and James the Less. But there's nothing in scripture at all about that. So, and some of the legends might be true. So why aren't they in scripture? Here's the thing that I always look to when I study scripture. Scripture contains everything I need to know. And so if I needed to know it, it would be in there. We may get there and ask some questions and and we may be told, oh yeah, that's exactly how it happened. But you didn't need to know that. Okay? So I'm not trying to tear down things. I don't think that's very helpful. I think perhaps the best testimony about Joachim and Anne is seen in the character of Mary. We did the same thing uh, when we were looking at the character of Joseph and then the the parents of Joseph. I think we see it. She did things the right way. And she was faithful to her pledge to Joseph. She would not be pulled away from that. She also surrendered the plans of her life to God. And then I think what we see is really beautiful. The scripture describes a really good Jewish mama. And I think Jesus needed that. And I think that the others needed to see that. And those were a great, powerful example. We don't need to build a co-divinity with Christ. That's my thought about it. The point is not to tear down another person's cherished beliefs. Please don't go out of here and say, well, my pastor at Faith Fellowship said that you're wrong about that. What good is that? (laughs) That's the sort of thing that just tears up the body of Christ. Uh, I have come to realize we can respect the religious beliefs of other Christians without 
compromising the word of God in our own lives. I can respect that you have a different view. There's a whole lot of different views. My goodness. There's so many different views right now about faith and how it's exercised and Holy Spirit and how it is manifested. Can we agree that we need to be about Jesus? Say amen, please. (laughs) And to study the word of God and grow closer to him. I was studying this and and it occurred to me, perhaps our goal is to be more like the people called the Bereans. I don't know if you remember them, but in Acts chapter 17, there's this episode where uh, Paul is getting run out of every town that he goes into. And it says, the brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea, where the Bereans were. And when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Now, these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They, listen, received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. I love those phrases. Receive the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. I think that's a very powerful way to go about our spiritual lives. Amen? You know, it's interesting. The Protestant Reformation uh, was sort of a reset that happened in the 1500s. And the Protestant Reformation was built on five scriptural doctrines. They're called the five solas. Uh, They aren't all stated exactly by Martin Luther, but he embodied these as he was sort of the spark of this Protestant Reformation. And they're so very powerful to focus on what he called sola scriptura, which means by scripture alone. That, That we seek truth by scripture. That's where we look. Sola fide, which is by faith alone. We're saved by faith alone. And sola gratia, by grace alone. We focus on these so many times. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, so no one can boast. Sola Christus, which means by Christ alone. Not by any other, by Christ alone. And then finally, soli Deo Gloria, glory to God alone, all glory to God alone, all veneration to God alone. You know, I think when we get to heaven, we can ask a few questions of a lot of these people. I'd love to sit and talk with Mary. Uh, It may take a long time to get an appointment. (laughs) Uh, Or maybe her parents. There's a lot of people that we'll get to talk to. And ask some of these questions that we have. But in the meantime, I think we do far better to trust what we have been given in Scripture. And that's what we seek to do. That's what we seek to follow. Uh, not, Not to tear down anything, but to lift up the truth that we find in Scripture. I think my challenge, I'll just say my challenge, but perhaps yours for the coming years to walk like a Berean made me think of walk like an Egyptian, but it's a little different than that, okay? But walk like a Berean, and that is to receive the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily 
to see if these things are so. Let's pray together. Father God, I thank you for the word of God. And I thank you that you have entrusted your word into our hands so that we might seek by your spirit to understand it. So that we might grapple with hard questions, so that we might grapple with great truths. And God, so that we might take hold of the gospel and hold that out in a world that desperately needs good news. Let us be people of good news. In Jesus' name, amen.